McHenry, the program associate at Ponars Eurasia, and with us today is Andrei Krikovic, an assistant professor of international relations at the Faculty of World Economy and International Politics at the Higher School of Economics in Moscow. Andrei, uh, welcome. Thank you for joining us for this Ponars podcast. What forces are driving Russia to challenge U.S. leadership and the U.S.-led international order? Thanks so much, Will. Uh, Well, I think what is severely underappreciated in terms of, and I kind of try to come to this from the perspective of international relations theory, is just how important status is to Russia. And really, this challenge by Russia is one to keep its status from further falling, to maintain its great power status as one of the key players in international relations. And that drives a lot of Russian foreign policy, uh, everything to its defensive reactions in the post-Soviet space, the intervention in Ukraine, uh, the uh, 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 annexation of Crimea, to its intervention in Syria, also sort of, you know, fundamentally, I would argue, a status play in terms of showing that it can be a, uh, it can promote its, you know, military power outside of its region, uh, something that only the United States can do sort of effectively, and that it can be a major player in the Middle East, and also that it can be a constructive partner for the United States, and also in terms of some of the internal meddling in uh, elections and political processes in the West. Another, another sort of status play, because you know it doesn't, even though there was this election of Trump and people would like to blame it on the Russians, I think we have to kind of face the facts that we're most responsible for this. But this was not you know, really the Russian design. It was to show that there is reciprocity and the perception there is that there's interference in their politics and therefore they do it as well and that doing it is kind of a marker of great power status. Or at least that you know, if you screw with us, we'll screw with you and showing that this isn't sort of productive and not what states should do. So status does drive all of these things that we kind of see as constituting this challenge. What does Russia want? And as a quick follow-up to that, why is status so important to Russia? So what does Russia want? So I think this is a misperception, you know, in terms of that Russia wants to completely overturn the order or take the top position from the United States or even a co-equal position from the United States, uh, that it wants to maybe rewrite the rules or that its, uh, it, its policies are driven by, you know, this authoritarian regime that hates liberalism. This is what my... Uh, mentor at Berkeley, Steve Fish, argues, and you know, in a very persuasive way. But I think that all of those things are sort of wrong, right? Why? Uh, uh, what it wants is great power concert, right? Uh, U.S. prime, U.S. primacy, yes, but U.S. exceptionalism, no. The U.S. is one of many great powers. It can be a first, but it's a first among equals. There are limits on what it can do. Uh, and then secondly, that you know, there's non-interference, sovereignty. That those rules apply, and they're very hard, but really that they only apply to great powers. So Russia, China, the EU, if they ever got their their act together, the United States would be kind of the four, maybe India, five great powers in the world, and they would have, you know, the right to pursue a sphere of interest, and Russia would be able to do so uh, in the post-Soviet space. So really, it's kind of a, you know, what I call a reactionary challenge. It's really a return to this kind of Westphalian great power kind of concert world, you know, the world of Vienna, Congress of Vienna, 1815, or the world maybe more appropriately of Yalta, right, post-war settlement, where, you know, great powers decide. And it's not just sphere of influences that, you know, when push comes to shove, right, in a very disorderly world, you need these great powers. My, co- my colleague, Andrei Sushinsov, he calls them the 
Atlas is holding up the sky, that they should work together, and that that's the only way to get out of this kind of global chaos, right? But that gives you know great powers a lot of prerogatives. It means that you know they get to force all these decisions on the smaller guys, and that I don't think is in tune with the reality of international relations. It has you know empowered small states and other actors as well. So what drives this? Why is status so important? Well, I you know in my talk today and uh, in my thinking and upcoming book. It'll be that it's decline, right? It's being a declining power that drives Russia's status concerns. So why is status important to declining powers? Well, you know, declining powers find themselves fa facing this kind of predicament. Uh, they have this large patrimony to protect, right? All of these interests and all these positions in the world and territory, all these things that they have to protect. But their material uh, capabilities to do so are in decline. And so they rely much more on status to do those things, on prestige, or, you know, and, and also the institutional uh, manifestations of it for Russia, the UN Security Council seat, and those kinds of things. So when status is being challenged, or, or, or it is, you know, kind of, it's losing status, they really react very, 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 very uh, aggressively to keep that status. So there's this kind of instrumental component. There's also a social psychological one in that, you know, one of the glues that keeps Russian society together that's gone under, you know, undergone these tremendous uh, changes and it's important to Russian identity is great power status. Uh, this is something that reverberates, you know, throughout, you know, society from, you know, people in the Kremlin to, you know, kind of the intellectuals that I'm really dealing with to, you know, normal people on the streets is that they really feel very good about Russia returning to this, being able to screw with the United States, being able to undermine the United States, that makes them feel good. I'll tell you, I've been in Moscow for five years now and never have I seen people be so nice to each other. <laughs> it seems like it's really energized. They, they say hello to you, you know, you go to a shop in Moscow, nobody ever says hello. Now the people, the shopkeepers all say hello to me. You know, the social cohesion returns. It's because, mm. you know, declining powers, usually these are societies under stress, right? I mean, yeah. economic decline, hierarchies breaking down, you know, those are all things that, you know, lead to this kind of uh, uh, geopolitical uh, decline. And so holding on to status is important to, uh, for those uh, reasons as, as well. So finally, how should the U.S. deal with this Russian challenge? So the thing with this challenge is that, you know, dealing with a declining power, the smart thing to do is you don't fight them now. You fight them later when they're going to be weaker. And you don't concede to them now. You concede to them later. Right. And that's essentially, you know, uh, I would say has been the U.S. policy towards Russia. It's kind of ignore it. Right. And so what, what does Russia have to do? It has to escalate. It has to provoke. It has to really push the envelope. Right. And if you, you know, Russia's in this bargain with the United States for more status or to change the rules that it will, you know, it'll cement its status on a more permanent sort of basis. Right. Congress, a Vienna type system, allows Russia to maintain status that really isn't aligned with its capability. The same way it's U.N. seat one could argue, did during, uh, you know, the 90s, right? Um, so you had this bargain, you're trying to force the U.S. to the bargain, it ignores you, so you push the envelope, you escalate, you do all these kinds of things. But that makes you a very, very bad uh, bargaining partner. Who wants to bargain with the guy that's always causing trouble, right? How, you know, how credible is the commitment that that, that person can sort of offer, right? So that leads you to, you know, get further ignored, leads to escalation, etc. So you kind of really find yourself in this very destructive kind of spiral. So what it takes, I would argue, is kind of a much more, and I'm not trying to fault, you know, uh, 
policymakers, etc. We don't really know a lot about status in terms of uh, scholarship and IR theory. We're just kind of find, finding out about it and realizing kind of how important it is. So what we need is kind of a more enlightened position on the part of the U.S., right, in terms of recognizing that, you know, Russia's challenge is status-driven, and therefore we don't necessarily have to worry about, you know, Russia trying to overturn us or overthrow. It doesn't have the power to do that. It, it recognizes it. What it wants is status. So are there ways that we can channel its status uh, aspirations in constructive ways that kind of lead to stabilization and order and those kinds of things, right? So I would argue, you know, a big opportunity was missed with Eurasian integration. Russia was looking to do it, not in terms of hard politics, because it doesn't want to get involved and broiled and, you know, all of these countries with troops, et cetera. It's seen the U.S. example, which shows that even the U.S., which the Russians recognize how powerful the U.S. is, don't get me, you know, make no mistake about it. Even the U.S. can't invade countries anymore, right? And and put order in. So how are we going to do it? It was, let's use the economic instruments, right? Uh, let's integrate economically. Let's use our soft power, build our influence in that way. And that would be relatively positive for these regions that are underdeveloped, corrupt, and face a lot of trouble and turmoil. It would possibly bring stability to them. And it wasn't something that would be exclusively done in a way that would close off the regions to the West, right? It really was the idea that this is a first step towards a greater uh, European, Eurasian integration of, of, of everybody. And, you know, this this is something that would have taken a long time, it had been gradual, and would have channeled Russia, allowed it to kind of really uh, realize some of these status aspirations in a sort of positive way. But in countering that, it drove Russia towards this kind of challenge and social, what, you know, people working on status terms, social competition. Right, knocking the U.S. off uh, the pedestal, or you know, undermining the U.S., playing the role of spoiler, hoping that that will make the U.S. realize that hey, you know, Russia's here, and we have to sort of uh, deal with it. And another area where you know Russia could be constructive, though it's very difficult now to uh, see how it would work in, in terms of you know the global situation, domestic politics, is Syria. Russia got into Syria not to you know kind of you know build all this great influence in the Middle East or to force the U.S. out of the Middle East. Uh, or even, I mean, part of it was to combat, you know, uh, jihadists that would, you know, cause trouble in Russia. There was that, you know, much more kind of direct interest as well. But partly to show the U.S. that, listen, we have some value added, right? We can help you in this war against ISIS, right? We can help you bring stability and we can show you the right way to do it. What you guys are trying to do through democratization, look at Libya, look at Iraq, doesn't work. We have our own model. Let's find the biggest, toughest son of a gun in the neighborhood and support him, like we did in Chechnya with Kadyrov, right? So that's what we're going to do here. But more importantly, we can build, you know, we can contribute and we can be a good partner for you, right? That would accord them status. If you remember before the Syria intervention, Putin gave a speech at the UN where he, he argued that uh, we need to build a grand coalition against ISIS the same way we did yeah. against Hitler. And so that was what drove it. It might be too late now with the chemical weapons and all of the stuff, but uh, if, which my uh, suspicion is that if what really is driving American policy in Syria is not so much concern about human rights violations by Assad, but the U.S. worrying about Russia usurping its position and its position in the Middle East slipping, I think those concerns could be less founded in that you know Russia could be a partner for the U.S. And again, if you allow, if you give Russia status, you can shape its behavior in a positive direction, right? If it's not going to get status through engagement, through cooperation, it's going to get it through spoiling, through confrontation, through challenging. Fascinating. Thank you again for joining us for this Ponar's Eurasia podcast.
Thank you.